This summer, we are working through a series called Because You Say So, I Will. And last Sunday morning, we unpacked this moment that is recorded in this little sermon bumper between Jesus and Peter. Peter is the professional fisherman. He knows what he's doing. And Jesus, to him at this point in Luke chapter 5, is just a stranger guy on the shore. And Jesus, this stranger, tells Peter to go out into deep water and let down the nets. The text reveals some tension in this moment where Peter the professional is confronted with this word of instruction from, for all he knows, just some random guy who has no idea what he's talking about. And there's this response that we looked at last week in Luke 5, and it's on the screen and where, Luke's, or where Peter says, Master, and this is not describing their relationship. This is simply um, Peter being smart enough to know that whoever this is, given the fact that there are some people around him listening to him teach, recognizes that he's some kind of rabbi in their time and place. It's certainly not describing their interpersonal relationship. And Peter says to him, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught a thing. And this focal point of this moment is kind of where we are building our whole sermon out of this series this summer. But Peter's response is, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. This moment is at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to be a person of faith who trusts Jesus Christ, whether we are on the front end like Peter in this moment, or we've been in this game of faith for a long, long time. Peter, in real time, demonstrates to you and I what it means to submit to Jesus Christ as it relates to his words of instruction. He demonstrates what this significant theological conversation of like submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ he demonstrates what it means to, by faith, put into practice what Jesus is asking him to do. Jesus, in this moment on the shore, is a picture of what grace looks like. Jesus doesn't have to say anything at all. Jesus doesn't have to reward him with his faith with a significant catch of fish. Peter hasn't done anything in his life to earn such a moment from the Lord. This moment on the shore of Galilee captures this beautiful tension-filled space of grace and faith and action and response of an instruction all kind of colliding together in this moment. And last week we talked at length around the conversation of thankfulness. We are told by Christ himself to cultivate in our lives a spirit of thankfulness. Jesus tells us this, to be thankful in all circumstances and situations, to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials and tribulations of any kind. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, was the main text that we worked from last Sunday, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. This word of instruction by Christ to us falls in the category of, because you say so I will, I will by faith, Work hard purposefully with the Spirit's help through your grace to cultivate a heart that's filled with thankfulness wherever I go and wherever I find myself. Each Sunday morning throughout the summer that I'm preaching to you, we have a, a myriad of guest preachers this summer, which I'm excited for you. David Reed is going to be preaching this summer, and Mike Breeden, and Pastor Dana, and Winston, and a few others. But the days that I'm preaching on, throughout the summer, I'm going to put before you a word of instruction that Jesus gives to us that brings us to the same kind of moment where he would say to Peter, go out into deep water and let down your nets and trying to create a space where you might have to deal with your own kind of professional ideas about things. 
where you might have to deal with your own, that's not how I understand the world to work. And yet Jesus says something that you might be like Peter and respond, this doesn't make any sense to me, but because you're asking me, I will, I will do this. Before we get into this morning's conversation, I just invite you to pray with me and ask the Lord to really steady our minds as we begin this conversation together. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for these moments that are revealed in your text to us where you ask your followers to do something that requires a response of faith. God, this morning as we kind of dive into the conversation of mental health and mindfulness, we would ask that you give us the ability to hear this really well, that we would hear the nuance of this well, and that we would, above all else, look to you for help in moments of real weakness in our life. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, today we are going to talk through the conversation of our minds and mental health and mindfulness. And before we dive into this, I I just want to highlight a couple things. Number one, there is very much a conversation around physical or bodily depletions that can and does contribute into the mental health problems of many people as they struggle through life. This is a very real thing. And I would encourage you to sit with doctors and others that this is what they do. They're trained to work through this, to help treat and help restore the body back to the way God designed it. Some of you in this room and listening online, I know that there is trauma that we have experienced at the hands of another or just through our work or just through life that can and often does contribute into a personal mental health problem that we work through on an ongoing basis. These are very real dynamics that often do contribute into the mental health conversation of our culture in this moment. And we can't downplay these things as though they're not real, or as though they don't count, or as though if I just like worked a little bit harder, these things would go away. Mental health and its demise, if I can use that word, this is just one of the many ways the curse works itself out in the middle of God's good creation, trying to ruin and rob and steal life from His creations. This morning, I'm not going to deal with those two parts of the conversation of mental health. I want to talk in a more kind of broad, general sense of the term of mental health, and this will be difficult for some of us to hear and be on the receiving end because it does get into some of the practices of our life. We live in a moment of human history, in our culture particularly, where we believe that we are absolutely free to listen to whatever it is we want to listen to that I can watch whatever it is I want to watch, that I can play whatever it is I want to play, and I can read whatever I want to read, that I am a free, autonomous human being, that I can do and go and listen and play in whatever I want to. As though some of those things will not have an adverse impact on my mental health. I want to show you what this looks like a little bit in our ongoing cultural conversation. If you consume hate literature, upon hate literature, upon hate literature. If you focus your attention and your thoughts, your reading around a group of people who believe that they are better and superior to another group of people, and you consume that, and you listen to it in podcasts, and you digest it, it's just a matter of time 
before you act that out on the very people that you think that you're better than. If you watch hours and hours and hours of pornography, we shouldn't be surprised when we see young teenagers grow up to be adults that have completely distorted views of sexuality. It amplifies anger in their life. It turns into bitterness and acts towards others that are heinous and disgusting. We are told in this unique cultural moment that we are absolutely free to think, watch, read, whatever we want, as though these habits and patterns will not have any impact on our life at all. And this is across every spectrum of life. Who you read and listened to through the COVID conversation, it plays itself out in how we think and how we live and how we treat others. Who you listen to about gun control, it will play itself out in how you live and how you think and how you act towards others. If you watch CNN or Fox or CBC or Skynet News, it doesn't take long for me to figure out what news outlet you listen to because it occupies our minds, it shapes our thinking, and it becomes obvious in the positions we take around life and living. It shapes the way we would speak of others. So the question I want to ask you this morning is, am I free as a follower of Jesus Christ, and I'm talking to followers of Jesus Christ, am I free to just let my mind go and fill it with whatever I want to fill it with? to dwell on the wrongs that I have done or the wrongs that have been done to me in the past? Am I free to just view pornography as though it's an enhancement to my marriage? Am I free to simply watch horror movie or Dexter shows for hours upon hours upon hours upon hours as we binge the latest season? Am I free to dwell on things that we think we're entitled to similar to our conversation last week of the things we deserve or the things that we think we deserve? Am I free to just dwell on, to put a real fine point on it, things that are evil or outside of God's design for life and living? Well, if we honestly dive into this conversation, we would quickly discover that Jesus puts a series of words before us that would clearly state that I'm not free to just let my mind dwell on whatever I want to dwell on. One of the main passages for you and I this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 5. If you have a Bible or a phone with a Bible on it, I would invite you to open this up and kind of star it, tag it, highlight it. And we're going to read through this in its entirety, and you can follow along with me as I read it from my notes, your screen. For though we live in a world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So, pause there for a minute. The weapons we fight with have a divine power to demolish strongholds. Next slide. We demolish arguments. So this is now moving into the conversations of what we think about. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is a great text that gives us insight into how the Christ follower ought to handle their thought life. It begins with this three-layered kind of knowledge of God to take everything or every thought captive and then make it obedient to Christ. And we're going to 
talk through this and unpack this through our conversation together this morning. But before we get there, I want to highlight a series of other passages that all deal with our minds, what we think about. Dana and team alluded to some of them already this morning, but I want to put before you a few more. This is from Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Since then, again speaking to Christ followers, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Philippians 4, 7 and 8. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 7 and 8. And I have to work hard at removing my mother's voice when I hear this. And now I understand why she said it, the way she said it so often growing up as a young man. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And then the last one that I'll put before, actually not the last one, there's two more, Luke 6.45, and this is from Jesus Himself. Luke 6.45. A good man, a good person, brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man or an evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Pending your translation, that could also read your minds. Mark 7, 20, 21. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come from. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I, we would be foolish to think that I am free to dwell on in my mind, in my thought, whatever I want to, as though it's not going to have an adverse impact on my mental health. I can recall several weeks ago, maybe even a couple months ago now, but several of you called me as you were in this place of real tenderness, of you know, COVID was frustratingly difficult. The war in Ukraine had just broke out. Inflation started to just do ridiculously crazy things. And by your own confession, it was like, I just can't stop thinking about this place, this world, this moment, and I don't feel very good. It kind of consumed, and you just simply asked me to pray with you, kind of over the phone, as these kind of three, four significant things began to play itself in your life. It's curious, when we think about these things, it is not uncommon for feelings of sadness or anger or frustration or hopelessness to set into the human being. Mental health and wellness, it's a huge conversation in our world today. Some of these things are very much biological realities, and they need to be treated with medicine and possible other therapies. And medicine, just so you're clear, medicine and other therapies is God's grace on our life. The fact that there are people who are super smart and have figured out some of these things to say, here's a way that we can restore your body back to the way God... They don't know they're restoring it back to God's design, but ultimately they're trying hard to restore it back to the way God made it in the first place. These levels, these things should all be here because this is where the human being lives and flourishes well. This is God's grace on our life. 
Some of our mental health and wellness conversations is connected to trauma. I know that some of you in this room, the things that you have seen in your work, the things that you have been a part of through your employment, the experiences that you have lived through, some of those are, are just trauma-related. And by God's grace, there are people that can help us unpack these things so that it can bring some level of health to the way that we think and the way that we function in our world. Again, this is God's grace on our life, that there are people that can help us unpack the layered onion of our minds, of our hearts, and help restore and bind up things that have caused a lot of harm in our lives. Then there's the conversation all of us need to stop and ask, well, what on earth do I dwell on? What images do I look at or think about? What are the situations that I'll often place myself in? What are the frustrations that I will never let go? What are the things that just occupy your mind most of the day? One of my favorite authors will ask the question, when the list of things to do is over and you go home or you're on a break from whatever task that's before you, what does your mind default back to? Like what's the mind's kind of like rest position? So we can busy ourselves doing all kinds of things to try to cloud and get through, fake it till we make it kind of thing. But when all that stuff is over and, and the game is over, the party's over, the friend has gone home, and you're just by yourself for a moment, what does your mind default back to? Pay attention to that. Jesus enters the fray and He says a lot about our minds, our mental health. And I'd bet my life that if we took Him serious, a lot of our mental health struggles would be managed, solved, and or healed. Not downplaying at all the conversations of trauma and biological, not downplaying that at all. But there's a lot of the things that we deal with because we've just never simply examined our minds and where it dwells. What fills our minds, what we watch and what we read, and on, going it, and on it goes. We are told by Christ to take our thoughts captive, to make our thoughts obedient to Christ. And our response to this word of instruction ought to be like Peter. Well, because you say so, I will. Like, what, what, what on earth? And this is sometimes how we treat Christ himself. Sometimes like, well, you're a carpenter from the first century. What on earth could you possibly know about mental health? What could you possibly know about the situation that I'm in or the, the things I've walked through in my life? What could you possibly know someone who wore sandals and wore a robe and never really lived outside of the greater Jerusalem area? What possible insights could you give me now as a male, as a female, that living in the 21st century in Prince Edward, what do you possibly have to offer me? That's the tension-filled moment. That's Peter, the professional fisherman, saying like, who are you? to suggest that I should go out to the deep water, the water that I've just come from, and got nothing. My hope for you this morning is that you would hear this word of instruction, because this word of instruction from Christ to you, to me, this is actually for my joy. This is for my health. This is for my flourishing. So often when we read anything to do with Scripture, but particularly Jesus' words of instruction, we view them as though this is like a new law. 
that now this is something I have to do to earn God's favor and love, when in fact, that's not at all how this works. When Jesus comes along and says, do this, it's do this so that you would flourish. Do this so that you would live well. Do this so that you would know me and walk. Do this because I'm actually for you. I'm not trying to put obstacles in front of you that somehow you have to do this to earn favor or grace. And if you read the scriptures that way, then you're reading them wrong. That's not what God's instruction over our life is. It's to lead us into a space that's filled with life here and prepares us for what is to come later as Christ as the focal point. Let's talk for a moment about why it matters that we would take our thoughts captive. And I need to go slow here because this might be new for some of you, but in Luke chapter 6 and in Mark 7.20, it becomes clear that our actions are shaped by our feelings. Our feelings, the very feelings that you feel, the emotions that you have, they are shaped by your thoughts. Years ago, we used this in a series called Guard Your Hearts. And the, the material that we were working through says, my thoughts hold my heart captive, or you could like insert your mind captive, and will compel me to act. My thoughts hold my heart captive, and in time it will compel me to act. Some of us have never really put this equation together well. What you think about gets you all worked up on the inside. This is true of my life. What I think about will get me all worked up on the inside, and when the right moment arrives, boom, Phil Woodworth there in all of his glory to bring a train wreck into a train wreck. Because I have been dwelling on this for days now. And here's the moment where I'm going to act in a way that's completely outside of what God would invite me to be and act. Just think of it for a moment. If you are a boss and you think your employee is stealing from you and you think about this all the time and you look for them, oh, maybe that's the moment. And you just dwell on it on and on and on and on it goes. Come bonus time, chances are there's no bonus. Come like performance evaluation, your thoughts have shaped everything about how you're going to interact with that employee. If all you do, if you're married, if all you do is think about your spouse's mistakes, well, you can only suppress that emotion, those feelings towards them for so long. And there's going to come a moment where all the mistakes that you are categorically filing away in your bitterness towards them, it's going to come out. It's going to come out. You, the person. If you think you have no value, if you think that your life is worthless, if you think that you are a bother to others, if this is where your mind dwells, if this is what you think about all the time, well, it's just a matter of time before we begin acting in a way that is really harmful to the self. Jesus makes it very clear in Mark chapter 7 and Luke 6 that what comes out from us is what is stored up inside of us through our thought life. And it will, in time, compel us to act. Let me say the same thing another way, just another language around it. My thoughts, and every single thought you have, has meaning. 
Every thought that you have has meaning. And it will hold your heart captive, either in a good way or a bad way. And it will cause your heart to feel particular things towards whatever it is that you're thinking about. If it's your employee, if it's your boss, if it's your friend, if it's your spouse, if it's where you live, if it, where your mind dwells will begin to do something on the inside of your life. It causes you to feel something. Your thoughts have meanings. And your heart feels that. And it will push you to act. One more thing that you need to know about feelings. I cannot displace a feeling with another feeling. If I'm frustrated with my wife, if I'm frustrated with my kids, I can't displace that frustration with another feeling. So oh, this is your exercise for this week. The next time you're in an argument with someone and you're feeling frustrated and angry with them and you're in the throes of that, in that moment, I want you to try to generate the feeling of joy. I, I, seriously, I want you to like work hard when you're in the throes of whatever argument, in that space, try joy. joy. Like Try to figure out how to be joyful in that moment and video it. Because it will be awesome. Because it will never happen. You cannot displace that feeling that you are in with another feeling. However, I can, by God's grace and power on my life, displace a feeling with a new thought. When my children or my wife or when I find ourselves in a bit of a funk, one of the greatest gifts that we have towards each other is simply reminding each other of what is right and what is true and what is noble and what is praiseworthy. And often, it's that reminder of what is true and what is right and what is praiseworthy that thought begins to win the war of the mind and displaces the feeling that they're in with this new and right thought. Our thought life, it is the command center for your emotions. And the best way you can shift how you feel is directly linked to what it is that you think about. And to shift the things that I think about, there are two things. Number one, I need you, the Scriptures would I invite you, Christ would say to us, pay close attention to what you watch, read, and consume. To use a biblical phrase, this would be out of the Proverbs, of guarding your hearts. Guard your heart. It's a theme all the way through the text of Scripture. I need to pay close attention to what I'm consuming. That's the first one. Step two is this take captive thoughts that are not true and harmful and make that thought obedient to Christ. Because truth be told, you could be a fantastic guarder of your harder. You could watch nothing inappropriate. You could do all of these things really well and still a thought enters your mind. You're like, how did that guy get there? Where did this come from? It is bizarre to me where I could be in some of the most wonderful moments with my wife, 
talking about life and experiencing a great date, and then like, bloop, like, where did that come from? I'm not looking for this, I'm not asking for this, and all of a sudden it's just present in my life. Hence, I have to take a thought and make it captive and make it obedient to Christ. And this is what I want to talk to you about for the remainder of our time together this morning. As a follower of Christ, when we begin doing this well, and I take thoughts captive, I recognize this thought. I have to displace this thought with what is right and true. And this goes back to the main text this morning, and we'll put it up, Natalie, this is 2 Corinthians 10.3.5. If I'm going to do this well, I have to have a deep understanding in my knowledge of God. He is where truth is found and located. It is who He is. It's what is all through the text of Scripture. It's proven to be true in my life for now 44 years. It's what God says about this world and about who I am and who He is and what He's doing in the world that is true and right. And when a thought enters my mind that is not at all in alignment with who God is and what He's doing in the world or my life, I hold that thought captive and I displace it with what is true about my life. So a real simple, easy example. Days where you're just kind of down and you kind of cultivate this thought of like, no one really loves me. No one really values me. That thought haunts a lot of people. And they're held hostage by it because they don't actually know that, oh, no, no, God actually loves me. That I've been created with a purpose. That I have deep value. And in those moments where I feel like no one loves me, and this sounds trivial, but it's not trivial. In the moments where I feel as though no one notices, no one cares, no one values me, the thought that pushes that thought out, that displaces that feeling out, is grounded in, no, that's actually not true. God loves me. He's created me. He knows everything about me. He has a purpose for my life. He's invited me in. And on and on it goes. The knowledge of God requires a person to ground themselves in the very Word of God. Both the living Word of God, Jesus Christ, and the written Word of God, the text of Scripture that we have either on our lap or in a phone or somewhere in your home. If you don't have that, let us know and we'll get you one. When we do this, when we begin to grow in the knowledge of God, number one, this is God's grace on our life. God did not have to come to this world in the work and person of Jesus. He did not have to give us the text of Scripture. He did not have to tell us about guarding our minds. This is all grace from God to us, His creation. Me knowing what He says, this is my response in faith. I will in faith spend time with Christ, dwell in the Holy Spirit's presence. I will read your words around my life. And when we understand this is God's grace in my response in faith, Jesus, via the Spirit, does this incredible transformational work of your minds, of our hearts. And it steadies us. It grounds us. It holds us. It doesn't remove the dark valleys of life. It doesn't take away seasons of frustration. But at least gives me tools, weapons, 
that allow me to make it through those situations in life that are very, very real. I'm going to give you an inside look to conversations in our home. Here's the first one. There's times where I'll ask Amy, and this is not uncommon for a husband to ask their wife or a wife to ask their husband. If you have a good friend, they might ask you the same thing. I'll ask Amy, how are you feeling today? A little worried, a little anxious, depending on what I've done, maybe a little angry. And I'll ask, well, why do you feel that way? Because I can't stop thinking about it. Like, we don't recognize that you feel based on, I can't stop thinking about it. I can't get rid of this thought. So this is a crucial moment for me as a husband. I have to acknowledge this is how she feels, and I cannot displace that feeling with another feeling. Like, you want to get some ice cream? Like, that... That often doesn't help. But what I, what I do say to her is I try to introduce a new thought to help reshape what she's working through. And it's when I remind her of what she knows to be true, when I point her back to who God is and what He says about this world, and it's that thought that displaces that feeling not instantly, but by the end of the day, when that new thought kind of takes hold and that's where the mind dwells, some of those feelings are now gone. We, like most parents, Amy and I, we have four kids. No, most, anyway, we are parents. Like most parents, we have moments of worry and fear, anxiousness about where our kids are going to grow up and where they're going to live and who they're going to marry and work and all that kind of stuff. And when we have the feeling of like, man, like that is like overwhelming. When you stop and think about like, where's Eden and where's Lauren going to live when they're 40? How many kids, are they going to even, like, that's an overwhelming space. To displace the feeling, we remind each other of who loves them, who created them, who's for them. I remember early when Eden was born, I've shared this story with some of you before. Um, he's our first, we didn't know what we were doing, and Amy was just captivated with the idea that he was going to die of SIDS one night. Just captivated with this idea. And after about the 17th time of her getting up and going into the room and coming back, and, and out of a frustration, I reminded her of a thought that was, uh, that was I recognize now, is probably not the best thing to say, but this is what I said. I said, Amy, if he's going to die, he's going to die. And he'll be fine. Go to sleep. Not the greatest comfort <laughs> at all. But it's, those, but it's those spaces of like trying to, like, I'm not recommending that. I'm not, I'm not saying like, hey, that's your take home. But I'm saying like it's trying to get rid of that. I cannot sleep tonight because I can't stop thinking about. I'm like, there is someone over us who is involved and in control. There is someone over us. And to find grounding in that space as it relates to your kids is a tremendous gift for you as a parent. In closing, two things. I'm going to invite Dana and team back because they're going to lead us in a song here in a moment. First, I can't encourage you enough to get to know Jesus Christ. I can't encourage you enough to get to know what the Scriptures say, what His words say to us. I can't encourage you enough 
to get into the text of Scripture and discover what it says about you. What He says about you. The promises that He has given. The words of forgiveness that He says. The mercy that He offers. The the wholeness that He brings in human life. I can't encourage you enough to dwell in those things. To fill your mind with those things. Yes, I'm aware of the biological realities and the trauma reality. I know that. But there's a lot to be said for just the general, run-of-the-mill, nine-to-five things that a lot of us deal with, and no one's ever really said, well, there's actual things that can help the way you view yourself and the world, and it begins and ends with who Christ is and what He says about the world that He made and your place in it. I can't encourage you enough to spend some time getting to know who He is. If you don't know Him, start to follow Him. If you're already a follower of Him, grow in your knowledge of God. Grow in kind of the shape and structure of who He is and what He has said about the world that He has made. Second, and this is the fun little exercise that I alluded to earlier, and this is your take home. When your mind is at rest this week, when you're done the daily tasks and your friends have gone home, and you're by yourself, and you're at work, pay attention to where your mind defaults back to. Where does it go? This is a discipline that I have tried to grow in my life over the years. And often, when the tasks are done, when the emails are all finished, when the kids are in bed, or when it's early in the morning, or when I'm by myself, and sometimes in the middle of whatever's unfolding, I will go to a place of, my goodness, this world is beautiful that God has made. My goodness, the blessings in my life. Where does your mind default back to? And if all of a sudden you discover that it's dwelling on images that are not awesome, that it's thinking about you in a way that's not helpful, that it dwells on something that happened seven years ago with so-and-so, if it's whatever it is, start right there in inviting God into your life to help you hold that captive and displace it with what is true, what is right, what is praiseworthy, what is noble. And I'll bet my life that our lives begin to change by and through the very power of God and His grace on our life where we begin to respond to His words of instruction about where does your mind dwell? Because from the heart, from the mind, these are the things that defile us. Mark 7, Luke 6. What am I dwelling my mind on? How am I filling my mind with the knowledge of God? that He might begin to shape me, reshape me from the inside out. I can't control the thought that enters, but I can take that thought and make it obedient to Christ, but I have to know Him. I have to know who He is. I have to know what He says. I have to know the way that He views me. And that voice trumps all voices in my life trumps all voices in my life. Let's pray together. Our gracious and heavenly Father, may we grow in the knowledge of God.
Because it steadies us when the world seems out of control. When the earth trembles and the world shakes, it is I who hold the pillars firm. That steadies the human heart, knowing that there's nothing unfolding, that you're still not holding the pillars firm. When inflation goes bonkers, and we're nervous about what it's going to look like tomorrow or a week from today, you will provide for me all of my needs according to your riches and glory. When someone says a nasty, awful word that it doesn't take hold in my heart and mind and I actually begin to believe that and it defines my life and my experience because it's displaced with you are fearfully and wonderfully made. May we pay some attention to where we just dwell with our minds. For your glory and our joy, we ask these things in your powerful name.